Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right. Well, as our kids head back to Kids Church with Miss Rhonda, let me invite you to take your Bible and go to Genesis chapter 24 as we plug right along here in uh, going through Genesis and, and what we're calling characters in chaos. Uh, and I have good news. Today we hit the halfway point in Genesis. All right? Um, let, let, me, let me just assure you that the second half of this book goes a lot faster than, uh, than the first half did, uh, primarily because as we look at the lives of the characters here, uh, t- today we really transition from, from Abraham into Isaac, and, and from here on, there, there are really three primary characters throughout the rest of, uh, the, throughout the second half of the, uh, the book of Genesis, and that is uh, Isaac, who we're going to look at today. Jacob, who we'll look at over the next couple of weeks, and then Joseph, uh, who we'll close out with uh, that Sunday right before Thanksgiving, and then we get into Advent. And uh, so I'm just, I'm giving you a heads up, okay? Christmas is scheduled for December 25th this year, all right? This is November 3rd. Don't let it sneak up on you, all right? (laughs) I don't mean to make anybody's anxiety rise. I just want us to prevent, you know, from it showing up on like December 20th, and all of a sudden you go... (gasps) Like, i got to get presents, and there's food, and, and there are people coming to my house, right? So, uh, no, but uh, as you're turning there real quick, let's recap what we've, what we've covered so far throughout the book of Genesis. So, so, so far we've seen that, that God is the author of creation. We, we saw that in uh, chapters 1 and 2. And we said that as the author, he gets to set the rules. We also saw that God created everything Good. And then in chapter 2, we saw the creation of Adam and Eve, and we learned about God's plan for our relationship with him, our relationship with, with one another, God's plan for marriage. And we, we see that in his, his plan in perfect action. We, we, we see it played out perfectly for about two chapters. And then everything went haywire with the fall, with Adam and Eve choosing to go their own way rather than following God's way. Everything came unglued. Then we we continue to look at the fallout of the fall. We we saw Cain and Abel, the first murder, followed quickly by the second murder by the end of chapter 4. But then we see some highlights throughout this chaos. We we see some characters who actually were concerned with following God. Uh, People like Enoch, who were simply told uh, walked with God. We We really don't know anything else about his life. Other than just that sentence, he walked with God. Then we saw Noah in, in the flood, maybe one of the best known stories in, in all the Bible. And, and as I've said before, probably one of the first stories that you learned, right? Especially if you grew up in church, you, you might have even had uh, like pictures of uh, the characters of the animals going into the ark, like on the, on the walls of kids' ministry rooms. Um, but in reality, we said that's one of the darkest stories in the Bible because it shows the the grave consequences of sin. In, in that story, we have God's wrath poured out on sin, but it also shows God's grace and that he preserved mankind. He didn't completely wipe out and say, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm just gonna, we're going to start completely over. He, he preserved mankind through Noah, even through Noah's uh, imperfect obedience. Quickly after that, we get into Babel, and once again, we're reminded that human sin was not cured by the flood. And people continued to rebel against God, and they've continued to rebel against him ever since. 
Then we spent some, uh, a few weeks on Abraham, one, one of the most important people in the Old Testament, one of the most important people really in the entire Bible. We looked at God's call to Abraham as uh, living in the land of Ur as a pagan and God calling him at the age of 75 to pack up everything he had and to go. And, and God didn't even tell him where to go. He just said, you go and I'll show you the land that I, that I want you to go to. And we saw God's covenant, God, God's promise to, to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child and that through Abraham and his line, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Then last week, we, we saw this promise finally come to fruition. We saw the birth of Isaac and the testing of Abraham's faith. And today we move into really the, the life of Isaac. And what we learn from from this child promised to Abraham, the, the one promise that would carry on his line, what, what we learn from his life and what that teaches us about the grace of God and, and how it ultimately points us to the true one who would come, Jesus Christ. So if you will, turn with me to uh, chapter 26, verse 24, right? So right now we're just going to read one verse and then we'll kind of do some, some run up to there, Ch- Genesis chapter 26, verse 24. Once you have it, let's stand as we read the word of the Lord together this morning. Genesis 26, 24 says, And the Lord appeared to him, that's Isaac, that night, and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to sing, to be reminded of your holiness. And just as the choir sang and declared, because you are holy, we want to be holy. We want to be faithful. We want to be righteous. We want to follow you, Almighty God. This morning in this story of Isaac, as we look at, at his faithfulness, as, as we look at, at the sins and the struggles that he had in his life, will you call us to greater faithfulness in our own lives? Will you remind us that even in those moments where we are faithless, you remain faithful? And we thank you and praise you for the grace and mercy that are available in Christ Jesus that reminds us that there is forgiveness of sins available to us. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Uh, now, now, I did something today. Since we're, since we're covering like three chapters, and, and we're not going to read all three chapters, so we're not going to read every single uh, verse throughout these, these three chapters, but I wanted to kind of pull in a big idea here. So, so here's, here's the big idea, all right? If I was going to preach this sermon in a sentence, this is, this is what I would say. The Lord keeps his promises in spite of our sin and slowness to believe. Okay? The Lord keeps his promises in spite of our sin and slowness to believe. There you go. That's what you came for, right? Let's pray and go home. <laughs> Just kidding. You all got an extra hour of sleep last night, right? I saw someone on Twitter who said, hey, that means the preacher gets to preach an extra hour this morning. All right, so, so we're good to go. Cowboys don't play until 620, so we got time, all right? We, no, 
This is, this is our big idea this morning. Hey, the, the Lord keeps his promises in spite of our sin and our slowness to believe. Now, I hope this is an encouragement to you. I hope that this causes you to marvel at the goodness and the grace of God. That his faithfulness to us is not dependent upon our faithfulness to him. Okay? God's grace to you and to me is not dependent upon me living perfectly. And isn't that a good thing? Aren't we grateful for God's grace? And so what we're going to see this morning is, is a continued faithfulness to the line of Abraham. God continuing to fulfill his promise to Abraham even after, long after Abraham passes away from this life. All right, so if we turn to chapter 24, and a lot of this morning is going to be summation. We will, we will zero in on a, on a couple of passages here. In chapter 24, if you have headings in your Bible, it'll simply say this, a wife for Isaac. And so what we see is that Abraham sends one of his servants back to his own family, back, back to the land that he came from, to find a wife for Isaac. When he arrives, this, this servant basically puts out a fleece, um, much like what we see Gideon doing later on, where, where he simply says, Lord, if, if this is kind of the, the parameters that I would really like for you to, to reveal to me that, that you're sending this specific girl to uh, my, my master. All right, so, so Lord, I'm trusting that you're going to provide, but it would be awesome if you'd give me some signs here so that I know... Uh, that this is the person. And so in 24, chapter 24, verse 14, this is what he says. Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink. And who responds, drink and I'll water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, now, now here's what's happening. Notice he's not asking her to water the camels. He's praying, Lord, I want you to send a young woman here that will say, let me get water for you and I'll water your camels. Now, here's why that was such a big deal. Because a camel that has not had water for several days can drink as much as 25 gallons. And if you notice there, it says camels, right? So there are multiples. So you're talking 75, maybe up to 100 gallons of water. That, that's going to require multiple trips, like dozens of trips back and forth to the well with her jug to water the camels. So in other words, this is way beyond what would be considered a normal request, okay? And so the servant's praying that the Lord would send a girl who's extremely gracious, and in verse 15, we see this, before he had finished speaking. So he's still praying these words. There was Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, coming with a jug on her shoulder. Before he'd finished speaking. Now, now listen, while the Lord's answer is not always immediate to us, right? Maybe you can think of some times in your life where, where you've prayed and, and before you finished speaking the words the, the Lord had answered. That's not normative. But we see the Lord was quick to answer 
this and everything that the servant had prayed for. She ends up being from Abraham's family. The Lord blessed this servant. The Lord is showing his faithfulness to Abraham's, to to the promise he made to Abraham. So then uh, he ends up sharing with her a little bit and goes back to to her family and he's sharing it. And what what I find interesting here is that he recounts the goodness of the Lord to Rebecca and her family. Jump down with me to verses 42 through 48. Today when I came to the spring, I prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, if only you will make my journey successful. I'm standing here at a spring. Let the woman who comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jug. And who responds to me, drink, and I'll, water for your, and I'll draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking, or finished praying silently, there was Rebecca coming with her jug on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. So I said to her, please let me have a drink. She quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels also. So I drank, and she also watered the camels. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She responded, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah born to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. Then I knelt low, worshiped the Lord, and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who guided me on the right way to take the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, now don't miss this, okay? He wanted others. He wanted this family whom he's telling the story to, to marvel at the goodness of God as well. He experienced the presence of God. He experienced the the hand of God working mightily, and he wanted to tell others about it. So at this point, let me pause and just simply ask, what about you? When when you experience the goodness of of God in your own life, are you faithful to proclaim that to those around you? Do, Do you share what he's done for you? This led Bethuel to respond in verse 50. Laban and Bethuel respond, this is from the Lord. We have no choice in the matter. They recognized the hand of the Lord. Now, now, why is that important? Well, if you remember, in Genesis 12, we're told that God called Abraham when he's living in the land of Ur. He was a pagan. He's not a follower of God. God saved him out of a life of of worshiping other gods to to follow Yahweh, the one true God. And and nowhere in this story do we have any any record of Abraham's family coming to faith in the Lord. So at this point, we assume that they're still pagans. The servant goes back to his family to find a wife for Isaac. And in so doing, declares the glory of the Lord to Abraham's family. And that causes even pagans, Laban and Bethuel, to recognize the goodness of the Lord. Are you faithful? Do you tell others about the goodness of the Lord? Couldn't it be as simple as, as what the servant did? You, you notice, I mean, he like didn't have a, a three-step 
like tract plan that he busted out, right? Well, if you follow these steps and if you pray this prayer, you can know, what, what did he do? He just told them, let me tell you how the Lord has been good to me. As we go on, we get into chapter 25 and we see that Abraham takes another wife after the death of Sarah. And, and then we come to the part in verse 7 of chapter 25 where Abraham himself dies. This just reminds us that, that even the heroes of faith in the Bible, the heroes of the faith in our own lives, pass away. Our life here is temporary. But as we've seen throughout this passage, the legacy of faith that we leave behind lives on. In the life of, for, for, for Abraham, his legacy lives on in the life of Isaac. And for Isaac, we'll see that begin to take shape through his two sons, Jacob and Esau, whom we'll, we'll focus on more next week. But, but what we see, we're given a kind of a, a, a glimpse here into what's to come for these two boys when we get into chapter 25, because we see that before they were even born, we're told they're quarreling, they're fighting within the womb. This obviously causes some distress to Rebecca. She wonders what on earth is, is happening within in her body. She's got these two twins that are, that are constantly, you know, going at it, just fighting in, in, in her womb, and it's, it's causing some distress. So she, so she goes to inquire of the Lord, and this is what the Lord says in 23. It says, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, in, in that last statement, the, the older will serve the younger, what God has done here is completely turned upside down the, the social norms of the day, because general customs at that time gave priority to the firstborn. At least half of the inheritance would go to the firstborn. Regardless of how many other children there were, at least half, sometimes much more than that, would, would belong to the firstborn son. And here God says, no, no, what's going to happen is that your firstborn is going to serve his younger brother. Now, believe it or not, this later becomes a key part of the Apostle Paul's theology, his understanding of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Because when we get into Romans 9, this is what he says. It says, and not only that, but Rebekah conceived children through one man, our father Isaac. For though her sons had not been born yet or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Now, if we just camp out here for a minute, this, this might bother us, right? What do you mean, before they were born, God said that Esau would serve Jacob? How does that make any sense? How is that fair? Well, what we're going to learn is, is that Jacob wasn't chosen because of, he had any you know, kind of superior moral quality while they're still in the womb, right? Like, I mean, it's not like God looked down and saw Esau misbehaving while they were still in, in uh, Rebekah's belly and went, man, that, that Esau's rotten, right? I'll, 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 I'll choose Jacob. No, there's nothing like that. He was chosen simply because of grace. 
And again, we might look at that and say, well, that's not fair. And, and at that point, I would just simply say this. You don't want fair. See, if God was fair, none of us would experience anything other than eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Why? Because that's what we deserve. That, that's what's fair. You don't want God to be fair. You want God to be gracious. I've never seen a criminal, right? If you, if you watch um, uh, courts at, at all, if you, if you watch, you know, kind of the, the verdicts that come down, like we've never, you've never seen a convict standing there saying, Judge, all I want is what's fair. You just go on, you know, you, you level justice, right? I've never seen that. We see often people begging for mercy and for grace. We don't want God to be fair. We want God to be gracious. And, and honestly, I think a lot of the confusion here is cleared up when we understand that, that as you're reading this story, you're not Esau. Okay? We're, we're not Esau. Because I think when we read the stories in the Bible and other stories, we, we, we want to kind of see ourselves as some kind of hero, right? Like we want to see ourselves in in the place of the firstborn. I want to see ourselves in the place of the one who deserves um, half of the inheritance. But in this case, there's a reason that Abraham's line is continued through Jacob and not Esau. And that's because Jacob, simply by the order of his birth, is unworthy, according to the cultural customs of the day, to carry on the line of Abraham. He's not the firstborn, and yet God chooses to fulfill his promise through those who are unworthy. And by the way, this becomes a theme throughout the rest of Scripture. So as we go on down the line of Abraham a little ways, uh, as we look at some of the characters that, that end up being great-great-great-great-great-grandparents uh, to, to Jesus Christ, we see this, right? Rahab was a prostitute. David, even though he's, he's revered as a man after God's own heart, we see that in his own life he, had, he committed adultery and, and murder. His son Solomon, through whom the, the, the line continues, uh, was an idolater. Married to 700 women and said those women led his heart astray from the Lord. This is in the line of Jesus. In fact, then when we begin to look at the, the people that Jesus surrounded himself with and, and those that continue the gospel, spreading the gospel around the world in the New Testament, we see Matthew, who was, who was a traitor to his people, the Jews, because he had sold out to the Roman government and became a tax collector for them. We see that Peter had an awful temper, an awful temper that actually led him to, to grab a sword and cut off a, a Roman soldier's ear. Paul, before he came to Christ, was a blasphemer and a murderer, seeking to put believers to death. And if that's not enough for you, Lazarus was dead. All right? So, so listen, as you look at your life and you're like, man, maybe there's some stuff in here that's messed up, and I'm not sure that God can use me, be, be encouraged. God uses people who are messed up. He uses people who are unworthy. 
God chose Jacob not because Jacob was better than Esau. God chose Jacob because God is gracious. Because he shows grace. And this is what Paul will later say in Romans eleven six. 6. He says, now if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. If we're saved by grace, then that means it's not earned at all. Because if it's earned, it can't be grace. It's a, it's, it's a wage. The only thing related to salvation that the New Testament ever says, ever refers to anything as a wage, is that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. One more thing before we go on to chapter 26. In, in, chapter, in chapter 25, verse 25. Excuse me, verse 24. Chapter 25, verse 24. We have this simple phrase. It said, when her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her room. Now, the, that could also be translated, by the way, the days were fulfilled that she should give birth. Now, if you're familiar with the biblical story at all, that should send bells ringing in your, in your head. Because as we look back through the lens of the New Testament, this should remind us of a couple of other births. Uh, because this language in the Bible referring to birth is only used two other times, both of them in the New Testament. The first one is in Luke chapter 1, verse 57, of Elizabeth, who becomes the mother of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the one promised who had come before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. And this is what uh, Luke one fifty seven says. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. And the other time, you, you might have already guessed, is in Luke chapter 2, verse 6. Talking about Mary. The time came for her to give birth. It's interesting that this language is only used in fulfillment of a promise. In the case of Isaac, it's, it's to fulfill the promise that was given to Abraham. In the case of Elizabeth, it's, it's the child promised who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And in Mary, of course, it's the promise of the Messiah. So even as we talk about this, this birth of a child of Isaac who would carry on the promise made to Abraham, our attention is drawn to a stable in Bethlehem, where another birth would completely fulfill the promise made so long before to Abraham. And by the way, you're going to hear a lot more about that next month. Um, I'm already listening to Christmas music, so I'm already hearing about it, all right? Don't miss, don't miss those opportunities to see in the Old Testament where God's pointing to something that's going to happen in the New Testament. If it's true that Jesus is the center of the whole Bible, then the Old Testament looks forward to him. The Gospels tell us about him. And the rest of the New Testament that tells us about the church and, 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 and how believers went about their lives look back to the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It still now, 2,000 years later, tells us how, shows us how we're to live in light of who Jesus was. As we get into chapter 6, we see Isaac dealing with things like famine. We see him fearing for his own life. We see him 
dealing with conflict, and, and then we see him even fighting over a well. And even in this hero, we begin to see major character flaws. We, uh, Isaac follows the example of his father, and he attempts to pass Rebecca off as his sister to Abimelech, which, by the way, is perhaps the same man to whom Abraham did the same thing. Okay? Do you see some foolishness popping up in our heroes of the faith here? Yes, there's a reason that the Bible is quick to point that out. Because it wants us to make sure that we understand that God is the one who's great, not the people that he's working through. So Isaac is, is caught red-handed with his wife, Rebecca. And while Scripture doesn't tell us explicitly what's going on, the general description is that Abimelech sees Isaac and Rebekah doing something that's not acceptable for a brother and sister to do. He becomes furious and calls Isaac out and basically says, what have you done? Why, why did you do this? The simple answer is Isaac said that out of fear because he, in that moment, he feared man more than he feared God. He feared man more than he believed God's promises. How often has that caused you to make a bad decision? Because we fear man more than we believe God's promises. And yet, again, we see this. Even in the midst of Isaac's fear and his failure, God is not done with him. In the verse we read at the very beginning of our time together, chapter 26 Verse 24, we're simply told this. The Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. The Lord appears to Isaac and renews the covenant with him. God's promise stands. Now again, this passage reminds us that the Lord keeps his promises in spite of our sin and our slowness to believe. Now the Bible will declare time and time again that God is completely sovereign, that, that, that our sin does not thwart his plans. He can do what he wants, when he wants, with whomever he wants. That's the the prerogative of being the sovereign ruler of the universe. But understand this, in his goodness, he chooses the undeserving to receive grace, mercy, and forgiveness. So as we close out this morning, let me simply ask this. Have you trusted in this God who turns our messes into his masterpieces? Do you know this God who is faithful to his promises even when his people are utterly faithless? If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ to be the Savior of your life, I would love to visit with you this morning about that. What we see throughout the Bible is that no sin, no sin is too great for the grace of God to overcome.
That's good news for us. That's good news for the world. What we see throughout the scripture too is that as long as there's breath in someone's lungs, I believe no heart, no heart is too hard to respond to the grace of God. That means we don't count anybody out. Because it could be that just like a, an Apostle Paul who was a blasphemer, who was a murderer of Christians, a person you share Christ with just might become a preacher of the gospel who will win countless people to Christ. And you know what I've learned, what I'm learning? Let me put it that way. What I'm learning is that my call is not to just go out and make converts, right? The, the, the call for us as believers is not, not that we would go and, and rack up notches in our belt for how many people we've won to Christ. The call on your life and the call on my life is to go proclaim the gospel. To make disciples of all nations. And do, do you know that I, I think the the obedience aspect to that is just as important as whatever results you may see. So what does that mean? Does that mean that if you share the gospel with a neighbor and they reject you that you failed? No. Why? Because you've been obedient. And because throughout Scripture and throughout human history, we see gospel seeds that are planted, sometimes taking years to take root and sprout into faith and eventually into fruitfulness. So my two questions this morning, have you, have you come to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If not, in just a moment, we're going uh, to stand and sing a few verses, and uh, I, would, I would love to have you come down. I would just love to visit with you and, and, and share with you what that means, what that looks like. You can even grab me on your way out the doors this morning and say, I, I, have, I have some questions love to talk. I'd love to do that. Then the second part of that is, is this. Who can you tell about him? Just as this servant told of God's faithfulness to Rebecca and to her family. As he recounted the goodness of God in his own life. And just out to the, the back door here to your left, we've got a bulletin board that says, Who's your one? Earlier this year, we we spent a series talking about evangelism, and we tack names up there. Maybe this week God's calling you to, to get in touch with your one, the person whose name's on there. Take them out to breakfast or coffee or lunch or share some Halloween candy with them. I don't know, whatever, whatever, and just tell them about the goodness of God in your life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this story of Isaac. That you continued to show your faithfulness to the promise you made to Abraham. Not because of Abraham's goodness, not because of Isaac's goodness, but because of your goodness, because of your faithfulness. I thank you that you show grace to the most undeserving. That even as we become acutely aware of issues and problems in our own lives, of sins, that we need to put to death in our own lives. 
For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, would you remind us of the goodness and the grace that you've shown to us? Would you remind us that the the scripture declares that you've cast our sins as far as the east is from the west? And that we are new creations. We We don't have to live that way anymore. May we live and walk in awe of your goodness to us. For those in the room who've not yet trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, will you arrest hearts? Will you expose sin in their lives? And call them to you. May today be the day that somebody turns from death and trusts in Jesus Christ to experience eternal life. May we as followers of Christ be faithful to proclaim your goodness wherever we go. With friends, with family members, with co-workers, with classmates, with neighbors. Open our eyes to the opportunities that we have. We ask all these things in the mighty, powerful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.